I'm Olga Stella, the Executive Director of Design Corps Detroit. Thank you for joining us for Season 2 of the Detroit City of Design podcast. As stewards of Detroit's UNESCO City of Design designation, we aim to raise your awareness of how design can create conditions for better quality of life and economic opportunity for all. Designers are professional problem solvers. And in Season 2, we will discuss the value of design to business and society. I'm excited to be speaking with Ryan Sullivan, CEO of Zenith, and Grant Goulet, Zenith's Vice President of Product Innovation. Zenith is a Detroit-based industry leader in football helmet technology, as well as shoulder pads, face masks, apparel, and more. Zenith has prioritized design thinking in all of its product development, resulting in gear that transcends protection alone, designed for the optimal fit, feel, comfort, and style. Today, we will discuss how collaboration between designers and engineers can result in groundbreaking innovation. We will also touch on Zenith's initiative to produce 20,000 face shields for Detroit area hospitals. Well, thank you, Ryan and Grant, so much for joining us today. Yeah, excited to be here. Yeah, pleasure, Olga. Nice to be chatting with you today. Well, it's been such a pleasure to work with your team over the last few years on um, Detroit Month of Design and, and other projects. And I've always been struck by, just in talking to both of you, hearing from you just how important design has been to your fairly young company. Ryan, can you tell us a little bit about Zenith's philosophy around design and why it has brought value to the company? Sure. Uh, I mean, I think for us as a values-based, values-driven organization, we have to start there. And design thinking is very much a part of how we have intentionally uh, designed the framework of our values and the way that we live them and communicate them and celebrate them as a team. So uh, foster a design thinking mentality is one of our six core values that we have as an organization. It's important to note that that theme resonates throughout the entire company, right? We believe that design uh, is not something that is only something that designers do. We do have an incredibly talented design team uh, within Zenith, of course, but it's, it's just as important for folks across our circle of life, or that's what we call our team or our organization, that everyone fosters that sense of design thinking and applies it to our entire business. So for us, it gets to first principles and, and values of who we are as an organization and you know how we do the work that we do across the whole company, not just product design. How did you come to that? Why is that one of the first values? Uh, That's a great question. Um, It was something that when you think about how Zenith has come to be here in Detroit, we were a company that had been founded in Boston back in 2009. And I'll spare you all the details, but the company moved to Detroit in 2015. And we really built a new leadership team and effectively rebooted the business um, from 2016 onward. So Grant, myself, and our colleagues as leaders at Zenith had this incredible opportunity to work with an outstanding product and a brand that had a lot of potential. But to do that, we weren't starting from scratch from a business standpoint. And yet, you know, we effectively rebuilt the entire team and organization here in Detroit. So as we set forth in doing that, we realized as a group that we had to be very intentional about you know, what are the values that we wanted to have within the organization that we wanted to help guide and shape everything that we did from you know, our decision-making process to our 
talent and hiring to the products that we put out on the field, et cetera. And it was through that process that we very intentionally wanted design to be one of our core principles as an organization. And it really comes from a philosophy of a human-centered approach Mm -hmm. and working backwards from ultimately what our product and or service is intended to do. And in our case, right, we are seeking to elevate the athlete's pursuit of their game. And we really needed to start with the athlete and and work backwards. And the best way to do that is through a human-centered design thinking approach. So we were very intentional about that as leaders, as a new team coming together to guide this company into the future. Maybe just to add to that, I think all great points there. And one piece as we were going through sort of the refresh that Ryan mentioned, one of the things we really identified as a strong competitive differentiator for us in an industry that's largely driven by engineering. And I certainly don't say that as a slight to engineers, I am myself one, so fully recognize the value there. But just what a differentiator that could be to really foster that design thinking mindset, of course, you know, transcending the physical product itself, as Ryan mentioned across, you know, everything that we do. And I think we're still kind of learning how best to leverage design thinking across the organization. I mean, one great success we had was bringing on a really strong design director, Matthew McPhail, who's really helped usher in a holistic, you know, design centric approach cross-functionally. And I mean, this has paid dividends through a number of you know ways, one of which is, for example, giving a workshop on the critique process. And so how do you provide and how do you receive valuable critique, you know, as an internal workshop for us? And then also kind of leading us through a process of really helping to establish our vision, mission and purpose with a group of emerging leaders at the company. So just involving them in this process and prototyping together and and figuring things out um, as a group has just been tremendously valuable for us. It speaks to the value of design is more than just these physical objects that we're talking about. It's also about the way that we work. It's interesting, given that your company basically reestablished itself here in Detroit in a place that's considered a real manufacturing capital. I think one of the hidden reasons for that has been because of our abundance of industrial and commercial designers. But you know, as you think about Detroit as a place for manufacturing, what have been some of the other benefits that it's brought to Zenith in this kind of second phase of, of Zenith's growth? There are several to talk about. I would say first and foremost is talent. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the industrial might or Detroit muscle, you know, many of the things that we like to celebrate here as a community and as a region. But from a talent standpoint, you know, not only does Southeast Michigan have one of the highest uh, concentrations of talented engineers in the country, but we have access to, for example, College for Creative Studies, where Mm -hmm. we've developed a very strong relationship in recent years, leading uh, a number of sponsored studios, as well as recruiting a number of students for both internships and full-time opportunities to work at Zenith. We also have Wayne State University, where almost everyone on our engineering team has some connection to Wayne State, <laughs> including whether it's a PhD or a master's degree or some sort of coursework completed at Wayne State, you know, not to leave out our friends across the river in Canada, right? We have a number of team members uh, that live in Canada or are from Canada. Uh, Grant here is a Canadian yeah. uh, by birth. And so that speaks to the global nature of Detroit as a, a city and as a region, both on the United States side of the river as well as over in Canada. So 
talent is certainly a great benefit to us for the business that we are in. Um, this region has a lot of talent within it that is directly applicable to our business, but it also lends itself well to attracting talent. And we've had a number of folks move here uh, for the opportunity to work on the Zenith team. Um, so talent is certainly one that I would highlight. Another would be the deep and rich heritage that we have uh, with the sport of football in the Metro Detroit region. So here in the city of Detroit, you know, we've established outstanding relationship with a number of the high school programs through the Detroit Public Schools Community District. Also Detroit PAL, one of the largest youth football organizations uh, in the country. In Wayne State, where you know I mentioned previously, a number of our engineers have ties to the institution, call that, you know, quote unquote, off the field. Mm -hmm. uh, but on the field, we've been able to work with Wayne State in terms of prototyping and demoing our products before they go to full production. And we've been able to do that with folks at the high school and youth level as well. So between talent and the rich and deep heritage to the sport of football itself, it's a really powerful combination that makes Detroit such a great home for our team and our business. You've been applying some of that talent um, recently to the emergency needs of our medical community fighting the COVID-19 pandemic. If either of you would like to talk a little bit about what is Zenith's role in producing face shields and how has your design and manufacturing know-how really helped contribute to that? Happy to take this one. I mean, it, it really comes back to that philosophy and one of our values of fostering a design thinking mindset. So the gentleman that Grant mentioned a moment ago, uh, Matthew McPhail, our director of design, sent a text message late one night about a face shield design that he had found online and shared it with me. It was like, hey, is this something that we think that we can make? Um, and that really set forth a, a work stream where we identified and evaluated, you know, do we make these ourselves or is there a different way and approach that we could do it? Ultimately, we were able to source these on a much better economic basis uh, overseas than we could have achieved here domestically. But it's really not all about economics in this case, of course. It's more about speed of response. So mm -hmm. we could get these products from overseas faster than we would be able to produce them ourselves here in the United States. And, you know, it was through that passion for design thinking and trying to add value to our community, which we're, we're so proud to be a part of, that this idea was born. Uh, and our team worked really quickly and nimbly to ultimately produce the face shields and, and get them here to Detroit very quickly and to the front lines where they are needed. So it's great to be part of a community where we're seeing a number of institutions, both large and small, companies like General Motors and Ford making mm -hmm. ventilators to organizations like Isaac who are you know, knitting and stitching, you know, gowns and other things. So we're really proud to just kind of play our humble role as part of this broader community and really the spirit of Detroiters all pulling together to do good things in this time of need for the whole, not only our region, but of course, the whole world. You know, it, it harkens back to World War II in, in a way, you know, when we were the arsenal of democracy and stopped everything to figure out how to create the machinery that was needed to defend democracy worldwide. And and now in many ways, you know, I love all the partners that you mentioned, Ryan, all these companies that weren't making ventilators and medical supplies before, including Zenith, and just every bit of spirit of collaboration and of contribution that it's really a part of our Detroit culture. It's just so great to see. 
Yeah, Olga, I mean, I think that's a great point. I mean, it's yes, Detroit is known certainly for manufacturing, but I think an important piece is its innovation in manufacturing, right? And so how do you actually create the product? Um, I mean, as from a design perspective, designing for manufacturing is is so critical, right? Really as critical as the specific solution. I mean, it's one thing to have, you know, the ultimate solution to a problem in the form of a product sketch or concept, but you know, if the materials can't be formed in a certain way or costs simply can't work from a margin standpoint, it's certainly better to learn that early in the process, right? And I think one thing that we're also finding too is as we're going through and sort of, you know, refining the categories we're already in or innovating in new product categories is the strong need for innovation in the manufacturing processes themselves and designing new solutions to make things, you know, whether it's more efficiently or more sustainably and certainly these new processes present different constraints or limitations from a design perspective. For example, you know, design for injection molding, um, which certainly there's a strong history of that here, has very different constraints for, say, design for additive manufacturing, which is mm-hmm. a really exciting area of opportunity. I think it's really exciting to be a part of that new wave of innovation in manufacturing outside of just equipment and hard goods here in Detroit, but also, you know, there's such a strong apparel work stream and innovation path here too, which is been great for us. Grant, how has your design and engineering teams, I mean, how do they work together? And what does that look like? Because I think these points you're bringing up are really relevant, especially, you know, with supply chains being disrupted. And I think so much uncertainty going forward in the manufacturing space. You know, I've heard some people talking about opportunities to localize manufacturing in the future. And A, how are you thinking about that? And B, you know, how do you find that you're designers and your engineers um, work together to try to solve some of these challenges you have in your current product portfolio? Yeah, I mean, we're certainly getting to a place where I would say these two disciplines do truly strengthen one another. I think there has been sort of some trial and error from a process standpoint on how do you best sort of leverage those, those skill sets and bring them together in an efficient way. And I think, you know, some learnings early on, which I've led to adaptation in our process is really moving from, you know, a linear approach of this design to engineering to development, uh, you know, a series of handoffs, which, you know, I'm sure folks listening will, will know has a whole host of challenges and inefficiencies built in, and moving more to a process where all of those teams across that design, engineering, and development spectrum are strongly represented early in the concepting phase, so that we can really quickly get to concept prototype, both physically and digitally, and efficiently get to a point of understanding, okay, what are our constraints from a manufacturing perspective? What will and will not work? What should we move forward with? And really kind of narrow down those concepts that we take into a more robust sort of engineering analysis. And I mean, a big part of this is sort of just team dynamics as well, and making sure that we foster this mutual respect for these sometimes discrepant skill sets that both teams bring. Mm -hmm. And I think our our respective design and engineering leaders have done such a great job at Zenith really fostering that environment where our designers feel comfortable asking technical questions to the engineers and providing suggestions. And likewise, the engineers feel comfortable stepping kind of into the design lane and providing some input and feedback there too. So it's definitely been a a process to figure out and we're by no means perfect there, but I think we have sort of established a nice synergy where these things do coexist well together. And Grant, I think one great example that really brings to life how our teams, both design and engineering, have worked together is our Shadow XR helmet, Yeah, which I think 
if we were to compare the development time and speed to market for that product, it has to set some sort of record um, <laughs> in the industry, uh, not only for quality, but also speed of work. So maybe if you could just touch on that project specifically, I think it, it would be a great example to bring those concepts to life uh, that you just shared. Yeah, I mean, it is an interesting example just from a speed to marketing, sort of the pace of innovation in certainly in our industry and no doubt in other industries as well. I mean, if you look at it, we'll take football specific technology here because that's what we're in. But I mean, really, you had innovations on the orders of decades. So new products coming in in decades, which would lead to mild improvements in head health and player safety. And that started to become, you know, a cadence of maybe once every four years to a couple of years. And now, I mean, we've with Shadow XR that Ryan just mentioned with a whole new sort of technology platform in there. It was about 10 months from initial concept to being field ready, which is truly remarkable. And it is definitely a testament to making sure that those teams, design engineering, and of course, the development side of manufacturing are tightly connected and working in synchrony and in harmony, proving out, you know, prototyping as quickly as possible and making sure that we're moving forward with viable options. And I think, Olga, you, you touched on an important point too, which certainly in, in this current landscape is very relevant, which is, you know, where are we sourcing components from? Mm-hmm. You know, are we onshoring certain things or keeping things offshore? And I think, I mean, certainly a sort of a diverse portfolio is of interest there, but, you know, we are looking at ways of picking up that speed to market and rapid iteration through that design process, which makes, you know, onshoring and tolerating to a certain extent some higher costs from a dollar perspective, but what that gets you in in a speed and agility perspective quickly offsets some of those uh, increased costs. Well, you know, it was kind of the rage you know, even before the pandemic to talk about this and just in time and customization and that kind of thing in terms of consumer products. But it seems like it's even more relevant now, given how unknown the future is and how heightened our senses that other things might become disrupted. I think Grantha's point that you're bringing up around shortening the speed to market creates an agility to be able to withstand unexpected disruptions in the future. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think another important point there is just how are consumer wants and needs and purchasing behaviors going to change through this? And I think that highlights the value and the importance of investing early and fairly significantly in that upfront research. So really leading the design process with robust research to understand for our business in particular, you know, what does that athlete want and need to perform on the field? What does the parent look for when purchasing, you know, a helmet or a shoulder pad or an athletic director or a coach? Our business is interesting in that there are a number of kind of stakeholders and typically the end user of our products are often not the decision maker for the purchase. Mm -hmm. And so we've certainly seen large returns on our investment from an upfront, robust and rigorous sort of design research process. And I think we've been fortunate to work with some great folks that have really sort of shown us and guided us along this path. I mean, one is our friends and certainly iconic Detroit brand Carhartt. Ryan and I, along with our chief operating officer, were fortunate to visit their headquarters. I think that's probably a couple of years ago now, Ryan. Yeah. And it was just, it was so eye-opening to get an insight into their process and just 
I think the number was something like 30 site visits per year that their sort of consumer insights group makes to farms or job sites. Mm -hmm. And that was just a great learning for us to really think about that upfront research and how we build that into our process. It really starts to pay off. You know, you can start to see that in your products. I remember when the Zenith Loop, um, the non-tackle headwear was released and the marketing for it really struck me that it was I can't remember exactly what it said, but it was something along the lines of, you know, no matter what size head or hairstyle you have, do products like that come out of this human-centered, inclusive process that you've been talking about? Yeah, you know, probably Xena the Loop is a great example of likely our first sort of deep foray into this area and sort of from start to finish having definitely deep athlete insights be that red thread that ran throughout the process. And I mean, I think to keep a long story sort of short here, it's an interesting product category because for those that aren't familiar with it, this is we're talking about non-tackle football. And so this is, you know, flag football, seven on seven, touch football and so forth, rapidly growing throughout the country. And also of interest is that it's, you know, widely played by girls and women, which is a great sort of extension for us as a brand. But I think there were products in this space for a number of years, but decidedly not designed for the sport and certainly not for the athlete. The market leader came out of the medical space. And so one of the things that we did, you know, we're certainly not a me too product company. And so we Mm -hmm. definitely started with a blank slate and I think really refused to be constrained by some of the limits of, you know, materials or preconceived notions of what these products should look like and started with a really thorough deep dive with athletes and certainly parents to understand what is it that, you know, when you're out there, you know, running routes and playing hard, what is it that you need and want from a protective solution that doesn't inhibit performance and one that importantly looks good and that you want to wear, right? That's a big challenge for these categories where a headgear, for example, is not mandated. And so through that process, yeah, I mean, we learned sort of the pain points of existing products, um, what needs weren't met. And then in parallel, you know, this goes back to sort of that great marrying of design and engineering is running a really robust academic quality research program on the field of video-based analysis to understand the nature, the frequency, and the types of impacts that an athlete actually sustains on the field. So one of the key insights that we got by working with our scientific advisory board was that there was no fundamental research on this sport. So we decided, well, we'll go create it ourselves. And so those kind of parallel tracks of the athlete insights and the engineering ultimately fueling a proprietary material development, again, with our neighbor at BASF and Wyandotte here, really culminated in what I like about the product is that it's apparent simplicity but just some really great technology and also really driven by those early athlete insights that did talk about those attributes that you mentioned, such as hair management, uh, Mm -hmm. temperature management, comfort, and certainly, of course, checking the box of necessary protection, which, of course, we're, we're known for as a brand. I see the Zenith brand kind of everywhere, and you have a reputation for being a really community engaged company, you know, Ryan, is this, is this why you invest in it? Is it, does it really help pay off in terms of the product? Uh, I mean, I think it's a, a number of things that yes, the product aspect is certainly important. You know, as Grant mentioned, we did a lot of on-field research, which included some teams here locally in Detroit, as well as others from around the country. But I think it goes much further than that, much beyond that. And 
getting back to the values conversation that we were having at the beginning, another one of our values that we talk about often is passion, purpose, and pride. Mm -hmm. And for every team member at Zenith, regardless of whether you are designing the next generation of products or assembling or fulfilling an order for our current generation of products and everything in between, that is one common value that we all have in common is bringing that passion, purpose, and pride to all that we do. And a lot of that is attachment to the community, right? So our products are worn by athletes on the field of play. And we have a very much a, a direct connection or relation to those athletes that we want to foster collectively as a team. So whether it's myself, you know, stopping by a high school or a youth football practice on my way home from work or touring athletes through our production facility so that our team members can, you know, get exposure to say professional athletes, which we've done on a few occasions to folks on our design team, as Grant mentioned, you know, spending a lot of time in the field doing research or folks on our sales team out visiting with communities uh, across the country. Um, you know, we certainly have a lot of strong connections here in our hometown of Detroit, as I mentioned previously in the conversation, but it's really that community connection that is critically important around the country and around the world. One of the exciting and unique things about football as a sport is the true community nature aspect of the game. So if we think about, you know, a Friday night lights type environment of a high school football game, it's not only about the football team that's on the field. You know, yes, that is the reason to convene, but you're bringing out communities from two different schools. You're bringing out uh, marching bands and cheer teams, and you're bringing out youth football programs, and you're celebrating homecoming and, you know, whatever it may be, there's just so much community wrapped around the sport of football itself that... I think to be really authentic to the sport and what we do, you know, it would be very difficult to do that if we did not have such a connection to the community or a passion for that as an organization. And it's something that we take a lot of pride in, you know, as I mentioned, and it's great to hear you say that we have that reputation um, <laughs> because that's certainly something that we take very seriously and is part of who we are and what we do. So it's nice to know that people think about that when they, they think about us here at Zenith. Well, it definitely shows. Just in talking with your team and in products, we're going to start to wrap up our conversation, but just what's next for Zenith? What are you working on now that you can share with us? I'm excited to peek even more behind the curtain about what's happening in terms of innovation at the company. We are certainly most known for our football helmet technology. And as Grant shared the story of the origin of the Shadow XR helmet, our, our most recent introduction in that space. You know, while that product performs incredibly well, both on the field and in the test lab, we're certainly not viewing that as a finish line by any means. So our team is actively working on future developments, you know, one, two, and as far as three years down the road, that are going to continue to propel our company into the future, but importantly, you know, elevate the athlete's pursuit in terms of that product. So our helmet innovation is certainly going to continue. The sport of non-tackle football, which we touched on with Zenith Loop, is a really exciting category for us, which we just entered uh, within the last 12 months. That sport is growing tremendously, both here in the United States as well as abroad, and is really exciting in terms of its inclusivity of both men and women. So there's certainly a lot of growth opportunity for us to design for male and female athletes as we go forward. And then I think uh, additionally, we have entered into more of an apparel 
product lineup also in the last 12 months or so and really getting back to that design philosophy and taking the athlete insights through all of our research and bringing those to life through some incredible apparel designs that are both style and performance driven is another exciting category for us. So in short, we are investing in the future. We have an outstanding team that is really design centric and we're going to keep pushing the envelope of designing for the football athlete for the months and years to come. What I would add to that is what really motivated me to join Zenith was this wonderful coming together and marriage of science, design, and engineering. And I think over the past two to three years, as we have gone through this refresh of the brand, you know, we've built out, as we've touched on, this incredibly talented, truly world-class team. And I think we're at a point where we're really making some great investments into each of those areas. So doing foundational research studies with world-class universities to put out public knowledge about you know, the nature of head health in, in the sport that we're in, which we feel passionate about, furthering, you know, engineering through innovative material science um, and technology. And of course, yeah, fostering that design thinking mindset across all of these areas and really making sure that the products that we deliver are truly, you know, what that end user and sort of their ecosystem, their parent and their coach mm-hmm. are really wanting, especially as, you know, as we touched on their need sets or want sets, you know, are likely to change throughout all this. So yeah, just excited for, you know, a number of things in the pipeline that really further our our mission of being innovators and leaders, not only in product, but also in thought. Well, I think as we close, I'm excited to see what's coming next from Zenith and, and to, you know, obviously keep up our relationship with your company. But, you know, I'm just curious to know how this transition to working from home has worked, you know, for such a hands-on company. You're making products every day and, you know, you're Mm -hmm. not a tech company sitting just, you know, type, type, type at computers. Has that caused disruptions? How's your team working? Is this culture of design thinking, has it been an asset as you make this transition? I think in terms of the team as a whole, like everybody out there in the audience, and as we were kind of joking prior to the start of this interview with our kids running around in the background (laughs) and making noise and so forth, you know, certainly working from home, has presented both challenges and opportunities for our entire organization and each of us as individuals dealing with different home environments and the like. So I think one of the things that we're certainly working hard and striving towards is maintaining that connectivity amongst the whole team, maintaining that focus and staying above the line, if you will, fostering a more creative and growth-oriented mindset as a team because it's very easy to be on too many Zoom calls or, mm-hmm. you know, have too many distractions or other anxieties in our lives, which, you know, have nothing to do with work in many cases. Right. You know, maybe it's the health of our families or loved ones or the communities uh, around us. You know, this pandemic is really impacting all of us in different ways. So, you know, working to focus and we talk a lot about not only physical health, so mm-hmm. we are eager to get back to producing product and fulfilling it. You know, we're still not open from a production standpoint as of this recording for producing product, but we're eager to get back to work there. And you know, we spend a lot of time talking about physical health, but the other area that we've been spending a lot of time talking about as a team is mental and emotional health. Mm-hmm. So certainly as leaders, you know, Grant and I and the other leaders within Zenith, we're really intentional about working with our team to foster a productive working environment, but also acknowledging 
some of the challenges that come in the working from home environment. So I think like most companies, you know, we're learning as we go, but really focusing on our team members and their well-being physically, mentally, and emotionally is, is something that we take seriously and that we're striving to improve day over day and week over week. Yeah, I mean, I've been constantly impressed by sort of the level of productivity that we've been able to maintain through this. And I think, you know, not a day goes by that certainly the product team, and I, I'm sure this goes across the organization, we wake up and are tremendously thankful that we get to keep doing, you know, what we're doing during this time, because that's certainly not the case for a number of folks right now. Mm -hmm. That's a challenge. And I think what's really missing, particularly for managers and leaders, is that sort of more organic discussion forum, you know, that inevitably happens when you're walking around the office or the production facility and you see a, you know, whether it's a sketch on an iPad or a CAD model on a screen, and, and you just kind of strike up a conversation about that. Whereas in this environment, it, it really requires a much more intentional and sort of formal approach to some of those touch points which is fine. It's just, you know, it requires a sort of a new way of working. And I think bringing that design thinking mindset into this environment. So what I mean by that is like prototyping new ways of working. Mm -hmm. So what are the types of meetings now that are most productive? How do we limit those and continue providing some of that heads down time? Are there more efficient meeting schedules? For example, no meetings on certain days mm -hmm. that might sort of increase our productivity and I think, I mean, we touched on video calls a little bit, but certainly there's unique challenges there. I think, you know, I'm sure we're going to see some science coming out about, you know, the unique ways in which our brain tries to process that 2D information of a three-dimensional human and right. sort of the, the additional strain it puts on our computational abilities. But it is tiring, I think, especially for those of us like myself that are maybe more skewed towards the introverted side. Mm -hmm. that maybe aren't inclined towards the video happy hours and so forth, right? It's You do mm -hmm. have to find those other ways of connecting and maintaining that communication and that sort of team camaraderie, which is, of course, very important. Ryan and Grant, it has been such a pleasure to talk with you both today and just learn more about how design and design thinking has permeated your company and why being in Detroit and its kind of manufacturing know-how. I mean, just Hearing all the references to the other local companies just really reinforces why design and manufacturing in Detroit all go hand in hand. And I really enjoyed talking with you both today. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having us and really excited to continue being part of this design community as we go forward. Thanks, Olga. It's been a pleasure. This has been the Detroit City of Design podcast. If you like what you just heard, please share this episode on social media, via email, or by any other means. For more information on DesignCore Detroit, visit designcore.org or search the hashtag DesignCoreDET. That's design, C-O-R-E-D-E-T. Keep up with the show by subscribing for free in your favorite podcast app. Just search Detroit City of Design. And we hope you will join us for Detroit Month of Design this September. The Detroit City of Design podcast is produced by Olu and Company and edited by Jag in Detroit. Music by Jeff McElwain, courtesy of Ghostly Records. Special thanks to Jessica Maloof of Design Corps Detroit. This podcast is a product of Design Corps Detroit, part of the College for Creative Studies in Detroit, Michigan.